With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And good evening, everybody. Joe Beningo back with you again on the Oh, The Pain podcast. Now, it's actually Friday, February 25th. And I really wasn't going to be doing a podcast. There was something, uh, a personal matter that I had to take care of on Friday and then this coming Monday, the 28th. But that's been changed to the middle of the week now. So I'm going to do this podcast today. And again, I, I don't know when you'll be hearing this. Hopefully, maybe you'll hear it tonight. Maybe you'll hear it in the next couple of days. But um, we will be doing the Joe Beningo Ode to Pain podcast. And of course, the Joe Beningo Ode to Pain podcast is brought to you by, well, you know, you know our sponsors, the Hackensack Brewing Company, Beach Camera, and of course, Anita Tire. Now, I was talking to my buddy, the great Tommy Keenan, uh, a little while ago, and he was telling me that my good buddy, uh, another one of the all-time greats, John Jastrzemski, on his podcast, did a podcast where he broke down the 10 worst losses by all the New York teams from 2010 to now, over the last 12 years. And it got me thinking, you know what? Maybe I should do some kind of top 10 list similar. And Tommy and I were talking, and Tommy's a great Jet fan, just obviously like myself. And uh, we decided, hey, you know what? just talking to him about the 10 worst losses in Jet history. Now, it's very easy to come up with about 25 right off the top of my head. So I had to narrow it down a little bit. A little bit I had to narrow it down. And there'll be a few games here that the the hardcore Jet fan will say, well, how did you not have this game here? Or how did you not have that game there? Or, you know, whatever it may be. But I kind of broke it down. And I don't know if it's really in order although probably the top two that I have here have to be the top two as far as I'm concerned. But I'm, I'm going to do it. I kind of just did this real quickly here this morning, and I'm going to break it down for you. So uh, we will start, the, the and we'll do the first five, and then we'll take a little break, and uh, you know we'll do our, our sponsors, and then we'll back it up with the final, the top five. So let's do it right now. The top ten losses in the history of, of the woe-be-gone New York Jet franchise, which, of course, started in 1960 as the New York Titans. Uh, then, I believe it was 1963 when they became the Jets. And they've been around, obviously, since that point. So how many years is that now, 1960? What is that, 62 years ago now? So it's been a long time. Obviously, they haven't won the Super Bowl since the 1968 season. We all know that. And maybe we'll do one <clears throat> as well down the road, the top 10 wins in jet history. That's a little more difficult <laughs> to do. You could probably come up with the top three or four pretty easily. After that, it starts to get a little shaky. We'll have to work on that a little bit, but here we go for just for the hell of it, because there's really not much else going on right now in the sports world. We will give you the top 10 losses in jet history. Okay. Number 10. And this is kind of controversial, but I had to put this game in there. The 1986 loss, Monday night loss to the Miami Dolphins 
They lost this game 45-3. to Now, how do you put a game that they lost 45-3 to in there as a top-10 loss? Well, here's why. The Jets started that season at 10-1. and They were 10-1 and and had won nine consecutive games when they rolled into Miami, into the old Orange Bowl on a Monday night to play the hated Dolphins. And at that point in time, there was no team in sports that I hated more than the Miami Dolphins. I can tell you that right now. Don Shula, all of that. And you'll see that the Dolphins appear appear more than once on this list. But I'm going to say this 45-3 game. The Jets were 10-1 and and were rolling. They'd won nine in a row. Now, injuries had hit. Injuries had hit. The whole defensive line was hit with injuries. I mean, really, Klecko got hurt. Gastineau got hurt. Marty Lyons got hurt. Lance Mel had already been injured a few weeks earlier in a win against the New Orleans Saints. He tore his knee up at at, uh, the old Giants stadium, and that ended his career. And at that point, Lance Mel was one of the top linebackers in football. So the Jets had been, even though they were 10-1 and 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 would won nine in a row, uh, they were really besieged by injuries when they went into Miami to play this game. They got absolutely hammered, as I said, 45-3. to And that game started the downfall to where the Jets, who at that point were 10-1, and would now lose their next five games of the season, the regular season, and finish 10-6 and after they were 10-1. and And a 10-1 and team where they were rolling everybody. Kenny O'Brien was off to an unbelievable start. Al Toon, Wesley Walker, Freeman McNeil. The defense was playing well until all the injuries hit. And as I said, this game started that spiral that ended with a, after a 10-1 and nine-game winning streak that ended with a five-game losing streak. Somehow the Jets still made it into the playoffs at 10-6. and We all know how the season ended. They would then beat the Chiefs in that wild card game, 35-15. to And then, well, the disaster in Cleveland – And we'll get to that game. That game's coming. You know that. So I put this game, the 45-3 Monday night loss to the Dolphins as number 10. So that's number 10. Number nine, and you can make a case that this game is higher on the list than I have it. But, you know, what the hell? I mean, it really, like I said, outside of the top two games here, you know, you you could put the other games any way you want. excuse me, as I start to lose my voice here and all this. This is what happens when you're a Jet fan. You know, you start talking about these games and you you, you can't speak anymore. But the 1981 wild-card playoff game loss at Shea Stadium to the Buffalo Bills. The final score of that game was 31-27. to Now, remember about this game. The Jets had not made the playoffs since 1969. So 12 years between their last playoff game and their next one. It was actually a 12-year period. Remember, they went the entire decade of the 70s without any winning seasons whatsoever. So here it is. The Jets finished the, finished the year 10-5-1, get into the playoffs. Remember, they started the year 0-3-1. They actually had not won a game through their first four games of the season. They had that 28-28 tie with the Dolphins, and that was it. And then they got red hot. And as a matter of fact, after the 0-3-1 start, the only two games they lost were both to the Seattle Seahawks. So they were red hot. They were 10-5-1. You were pumped up. 
They're playing the Bills at home. You couldn't wait for this game. You, you know, you're waiting, you know, uh, 12 years for a playoff game. I'll never forget it. I had tickets for this game. I'll never forget this. I had tickets for this game and couldn't go because at that time it was during the Christmas time. And I had to go up to my in-laws when I was married to my first wife. And we won't get into all of that. But I had to go up to Massachusetts. I could not go to this game. I had to go up and watch it on TV at my in-laws. So that already had started, you know, a downward feeling to this game that I couldn't be there. Whatever. This game, they lost 31-27. Remember, the game starts out with Bruce Harper fumbling the opening kickoff. Charles Rome's at a Bills, picks it up, so runs it in for a touchdown. So before your ass even hits the seat, you're down 7 nothing in this football game. Before you even, you know, you can even get started, you're down 7 nothing in this football game to the, to, the, uh, uh, to the Buffalo Bills. Well, the Jets proceed to do everything they can do to lose this game. Wesley Walker drops two touchdown passes wide open in the end zone. You had that crazy play, if you remember, <clears throat> when uh, uh, Gastineau sacks Joe Ferguson, causes a fumble, the ball rolls behind them like 20, 25 yards, and I don't know how many Jets have a chance to pick it up, and none of them do, and Buffalo winds up recovering it. Anyway, the game gets to 31-13. The Jets are down 31-13, and now Richard Todd gets hot. The Jets come all the way back. They cut the lead to 31-27. They have the ball, and they're driving in the final minutes of this game. And, you and uh, you know, I'm going nuts, man. Oh, my God. You know, Todd's doing – he's hitting – you know, he's hitting Wesley. He's hitting Shula. All of this stuff is going down. They're driving. They get to about the uh, the 15-yard line or so. And then Richard Todd, as only he could – you know, I always say nobody found the open linebacker or open defensive back better than Richard Todd. I mean – Man, he would find that linebacker wide open, that safety wide open. And in this case, he finds a wide open Bill Simpson, the Bills, uh, uh, one of the Bills uh, the, uh, defensive backs, one of their safeties, and he throws this pick at about the two-yard line to end the game. I mean, you know, like I said, you could put this game up a lot higher. You could put this game up a lot higher than it is. But this was an absolutely brutal loss. And probably to that point, you could make a case that this was the worst loss in the history of the franchise to this point in their history. You could. Although I do have a game that came after that came before that that I put higher. But we'll we'll get to that. So the wild card game loss to the Buffalo Bills in 1981. Again, you could put it higher, but I'm gonna put it at number nine. Okay. Number eight, and I'll never forget this game, and, and I know my wife will remember this moment as well. This is the 2000 uh, Christmas Eve loss, the final game of the season to the Baltimore Ravens, all right? Now, this is the year Al Groh was the head coach, okay? Parcells had left, the whole disaster with Belichick. Al Groh becomes the head coach. And, of course, Al Groh couldn't wait to get out of it, leave the Jets and go coach Virginia. He couldn't wait to do it. But if you remember, the Jets actually were 9-4, and four, right? As they went through the first 13 games of the season, they actually were 9-4. and four. Then they had a couple really bad losses. They lost that terrible game. I think it was 10-7 to the Lions at home. Just a terrible loss. Where the only touchdown the Lions scored was on a, a, scored was on a fumble that they recovered in the end zone. They lost that game 10-7 at home at, at, at Giants Stadium. 
And then they got hammered by the Raiders in Oakland. So now they're 9-6. and six. They're going into the last game of the year against the Baltimore Ravens. And the Ravens would eventually win the Super Bowl this year. Last game of the year against the Ravens. If the Jets win, they make the playoffs. Now, even if they had lost, there was still a chance they could get in. But it was a very – I think it was the Colts had to lose – if I'm not mistaken, to Minnesota. I forget exactly what it was, but there was no way the Colts were going to lose that game, and they didn't. But be that as it may. The Jets are up 14-0. Remember, Al Groves the coach, Testaverde is the quarterback. The Jets are up 14-0 in this game. They're running no-huddle offense. And then for some reason, all of a sudden, Al Groves decides, ah, let's stop running like this. We're killing the Ravens doing this. Let's stop. So they start getting conventional. And the Ravens start coming back. Anyway, we fast forward to the last minute of the first half. The Jets are up 14 to 12. And I'll never forget this moment. Vinny, and I love Vinny, Vinny Testaverde. He was one of the best quarterbacks we ever had, okay? Which is, you know, doesn't say a lot of, look, I don't want to knock Vinny. He was a very good Jet, so I'm not knocking him. He was one of the, like I said, one of the best quarterbacks we ever had. I even have his jersey. But the Jets are winning 14-12. And then Vin, they're driving they're, I don't know, they're on maybe the Raven 20-yard line, whatever whatever it is, right near, right before halftime. It, they're certainly in field goal range to up the lead to 17-12. to 12. Vinny throws a pick that Chris McAllister, remember him from the Ravens, picks off on about the one-yard line and promptly returns it 99 yards for a touchdown. And obviously that turns the whole game around. And if you remember in the second half of that game, remember Jermaine Lewis? He returns two punts, not one, two punts for touchdowns in that game. The Jets lose it. I think the final score was 38-24, to 24, and obviously they don't make the playoffs. They finish 9-7. and Groth takes off and leaves for Virginia. What a brutal loss. And I remember that night. I was so aggravated that night. I went, and this is going to probably take more than a half hour to do because I got so much, so many stories about these games. It's Christmas Eve. The Jets lose. I got my Vinny Testaverde jersey on. I still have it on. I go over to my sister's house, and I'm not a big drinker. I go over to my sister's house, and there's my brother-in-law. He says, hey, you know, it's Christmas Eve. I got this great scotch. Why don't you have a, why don't you have a scotch, a couple scotches with me? Oh, okay. So I drink a couple scotches. 20-year-old. Oh, it was 20. My, my wife's pointing out it was 20-year-old. It was well-aged, 20-year-old oh. scotch. So I have a couple scotches. And now I got to go over to my grandmother's house, which isn't too far away from where my my uh, sister's house was. And I get I am now wasted. I mean, by the time I get into the car and drive, no business driving a car here, okay? By the time I get into the car, I am fried, all right? There might have been something else I was doing as well, but we'll leave that out of the conversation. Now, I am freaking fried by the time I get to the, my, my, uh, my grandmother's house, which is only a couple miles away from my sister. And I am so bombed that now I got a, I, I couldn't drive home. One of my cousins had to drive me home. All right. I was living in Hasbrook Heights at the time. I get into the house and I am so, and I am cursing out everybody. I'm cursing out Parcells. You know, I'm cursing out the fact that he traded Keith Sean Johnson. I mean, all the, I am so aggravated. I can't tell you how ticked off I am. And I wind up after all this stuff is going down. I wind up going upstairs. I still got the Vinny Testaverde jersey on, by the way. I might, I might add, this is still on. I wind up 
Going upstairs, I am so blasted that I puke all over the place. It's probably the last time in my life I ever puked. And this is now, you know, 22, over 20, well, 21 years ago because it was Christmas time. And my poor wife, I'm screaming downstairs, Ted, Ted, I just puked all over the place. <laughs> she comes up and cleans up the puke. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. What a disaster that was. Oh, my God. I'm cursing out everybody in the jet organization. I was so damn pissed off after that game. Oh, God, what a disaster. Still had the Vinny jersey on. And I have to say, I was proud of this. I never got any of the puke on the Vinny jersey. Oh, a little bit. My wife's pointing out a little bit of puke on a Vinny jersey. It wasn't a lot, but it was a little. So that's number eight. The Christmas Eve disaster lost to the Baltimore Ravens uh, final game of the season in 2000. All right, number eight. All right, we're moving along here. We're doing a pretty good job. Let's go to number seven. Number seven, I had to put this game in here, okay? Um, and I got it at number seven. Maybe some people think this should be higher. You could say whatever you want. And that's the mud bowl loss in the AFC championship game to the Dolphins in 1982. I mean, like I said, the Dolphins are on this list a couple times, and they got another game on here too, but you could figure out what that might be. But nevertheless, number seven, the mud bowl game loss to the, to the Miami Dolphins. What a disaster that was. <clears throat> you know, that's the strike year. The Jets are six and three going into the in, into the uh uh into the playoff. What they called it was the Super Bowl tournament, if you remember. And they get into the tournament. They actually lost the last game of the year. They would they they were six and two going into the final game of the year. They had already clinched the playoff spot and they got beat bad by the Chiefs in Kansas City. And that basically cost them any home field that they would have had in the playoffs. So they have to do it all on the road. The first game is in Cincinnati against the the, uh, def the defending AFC champion Bengals, and the Jets just smoke them. I think the final score was like 44 to 13, something like that. They killed them. Freeman McNeil threw a touchdown, an option touchdown pass to Derek Gaffney in that game. Darrell Ray had a huge fumble recovery that he returned for a touchdown. Uh, McNeil had a, I think McNeil rushed for 200-something yards in that game. The Jets just smoked the Bengals. That was the first playoff game. The second playoff game was that classic. Remember that? 102,000 people in the L.A. Coliseum against the Raiders. Uh, remember, that, remember that game when Freeman McNeil had a couple fumbles late and Lance Mel had two huge interceptions late in that game to seal the win? Uh, you know, a big pass from Richard Todd to Wesley Walker to set up the go-ahead touchdown by Scott Durking. The Jets win that game 17-14, setting up the AFC title game in Miami against the Dolphins, who had beaten the Jets twice during the year already. The Jets lost twice. They, uh, two of their three losses during that regular season were against the Miami Dolphins. So now they go into Miami to play the Dolphins, and it there was torrential rain in Miami for like three or four days prior to this game. For some reason, tell me why, Don Shula doesn't cover the field. You're telling me in 1982 they didn't have any top to cover the freaking field at the Orange Bowl? Nah, why should Shula do that? He doesn't want, you know, Wesley Walker, right? Freeman McNeil. He wants to make sure that the Jets, you know, that the speed they have, the offensive firepower they have on this team is completely negated by the freaking weather, right? So what happens? Well, we all know what happened. This game is nothing, nothing at halftime. And then Richard Todd starts to find his buddy, the open linebacker, A.J. Dewey. 
winds up throwing three interceptions in this game. What do we have? Three? I think I think Dewey had three of them in this game. If I'm not at least two, definitely, probably three. And of course, the one we all remember <clears throat> is the one that Dewey takes to the house for the uh, touchdown that seals the 14-0 jet loss. Oh my God, how bad was that? And I and I'll tell you right now, I my I I, I hate it. I know hate's a strong word. Boy, I freaking hated Don Shula. I mean, I never liked him to begin with. After that game and after not having any top on the field, I mean, I had nothing, <clears throat> nothing for disdain for that guy. All right? Absolutely nothing for disdain, but disdain for Don Shula. Okay. So, and that really was it. I mean, that game really was kind of the end of the road for Richard Todd. I mean, he was the quarterback the following year in 83. They wound up going 7-9. and nine. Todd eventually, at the end of the year, got traded uh, to the New Orleans Saints, never to be heard from again. Uh, you know, I, how many times when I was doing radio, I tried to get Richard Todd on the program, forget it. Richard Todd wants nothing to do. I believe he's down in Atlanta. I think he's working uh, in the, the stock market down in Atlanta. Beer Stearns, maybe. Uh, whatever. Beer Stearns uh, in Atlanta. We tried to get him a million times. Richard Todd wants nothing to do with talking about his jet career and for good reason. So anyway. So game number seven, the Mud Bowl loss in 1982 to the Miami Dolphins. Now, <clears throat> I'm doing a special podcast. We're only, we're only up to number seven. We're coming up to number six now. Uh, this is a special podcast, the Joe Beningo Oda Pain podcast, and we're, we're really doing the pain as I'm breaking down the 10 worst losses in Jet history. Okay, number six, and I had to put this game in here. And that is the final game of the 2015 regular season loss to the Bills in Buffalo. The last really meaningful game that the Jets have played, you know, since. Okay, I really haven't played a meaningful game since. And that remember that whole year? Remember the Jets again? They had the week before, they had beaten the Patriots in overtime at the Meadowlands. We're going nuts. They, could, uh, they controlled their own destiny. If they go into Buffalo and beat the Bills, who, by the way, were coached by Rex Ryan, they make the playoffs. I remember Buffalo had beaten them earlier in the year, 22 to 17, which by the way, was the same score as this game would turn out to be. And this was Todd Bowles first year as head coach. And this team really should have been about 13 and three. I remember Ryan, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has the, this unbelievable year. He throws for 31 touchdowns, which still is the record. Uh, most touchdown passes in the history of the franchise, 31 touchdown passes, Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker have these monster years, both well over 1,000 yards in receiving. Brandon Marshall sets the record for most jet catches in a season. I think he caught 98 passes that year. You know, whatever the deal was, unbelievable, right? And like I said, they should have been 13-3, and three, not 10-6. and six. But anyway, they're 10-5 and five going into this game, and we all know what happens, right? We all know what happens in this football game. Darrell Revis, who by this point is a statue – Gets chewed up by Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins killed him the whole game that day. Uh, uh, Bowles makes no adjustments whatsoever with Revis. You know, no double teaming, none of that. Watkins kills him. Anyway, <clears throat> the Jets have a chance late in this game to take the lead, and we know what happens. They have a field goal certainly in the bag. Uh, I believe they were down seven. I think it was was it was it uh, nineteen to seventeen. They're losing at this point in the game. All they need is a field goal to take the lead. Midway through the fourth quarter, Ryan Fitzpatrick, as great a year as he has, 31 touchdown passes, throws an interception in the end zone, 
And that really was the killer of this game. They wind up, Buffalo kicks a field goal, but what turns out to be the final score, 22 to 17, just a disaster. If you remember, uh, Chris Ivory, who had a great year running the football for them that year, got hurt in this game and barely played. I don't even know if he played at all. That was a big factor. Uh, who There was another guy. Who else was hurt? Another one of our running backs. I can't think of his name right now. Was a good player for us. Was also hurt in this game. That was a big a big problem in this football game as well. Again, uh, I'll remember it when I get off the air. But a uh, major factor in the game that he doesn't play. Uh, just ter- uh, Oh, my God. Just a brutal loss. Uh, the Jets, Pittsburgh wins their game. The Jets don't make the playoffs. They finish 10 and 6. And the uh, rest of the uh, Todd Bowles uh, era is just a complete disaster. Goes downhill from there. What a disaster. So that game to me is number six. The loss to the Buffalo Bills, final game of the year, 2015. Uh, it, it, like I said, the Todd Bowles era goes downhill fast after that football game. And that is the last meaningful game the Jets have had. And the last time, of course, 2015, that the Jets had a winning season. Okay, so that's number six. You can argue lower, higher, you know, whatever you want. But that's number six. All right, we start now to move into the top five, okay? Let's get to the top five. And we're going to run over a half hour here, but who cares? We we can, we'll, we'll do that. Number five, and I was at this game. Always got to point out the games I was at. In fact, uh, let's see, I was at this game. uh, Of the next, the top five, I was at three of them. It's the 1994 fake spike loss to the Miami Dolphins. And if you notice, three times times on this list are the Miami Dolphins. So you know how much I can't stand them. And we all know the story of this game. And I just watched this game recently again. And it was worse watching it the second time because there was a lot of stuff I forgot about this game. But remember, you remember the scenario. The Jets are six and five, Miami seven and four. If the Jets win this game, they'd be tied for first place in the AFC East. They had just come off a big win over the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. They had won two of their last three. They had beaten Buffalo, and then had a bad loss in Green Bay, and then came back and beat Minnesota. They're six and five. Pete Carroll's the head coach. Boomer Esiason's the quarterback. The Jets eventually have a 24-6 lead in this game. But even before that, they leave points on the board. They leave points on the board. The first drive of the game, the Jets drive down to the to the uh, Miami three-yard line and have to settle for a field goal. They have a fourth and goal from the three. They kick a field goal for a three-nothing lead. The next drive, they again drive down deep into Miami territory. On fourth down, they got a fourth and one from, about again, about the three or four-yard line. They go for the touchdown, and rightfully so. And Boomer underthrows their backup tight end, James Thornton, who I even forgot was even on the team. He underthrows James Thornton. He doesn't. He catches the ball, but he's on like the half-yard line. He can't get into the end zone because he's got to kind of dive for the catch. So they leave points on the board there. After that, they get the ball back again. I believe uh, an interception by James Hasty sets them up in very good field position, right? Again, okay? What happens? They wind up getting nothing out of that. So that's even before they take a 24-6 lead. Rob Moore had a huge game. Art Monk had a huge game. Johnny Mitchell caught two touchdown passes in this game. This is one of the best games, Boomer, probably the best game 
up until about eight minutes to go that Boomer Esiason never had as a Jet. They're up 24-6. Then it's 24-14 after Miami scores and gets the two-point conversion. And then Boomer throws this pick to Troy Vincent, a killer interception. And that starts the downfall of this football game. And eventually, Miami cuts it to 24-21. They get another pick of Boomer in a big spot after the Jets recover a fumble on a punt. Uh, and we, we know what happens. Marino drives down the field. The, the fake spike hits Mark Ingram in the corner of the end zone for what turns out to be the game-winning touchdown. You know, the Paul Olden's famous call, uh, famous call uh, Ingram like a house by the side of the road. Remember that? And he beats Aaron Glenn for the touchdown. And Miami wins it 28-24. Mark Ingram catches four touchdown passes in that game from Marino. Unbelievable. You can't make it up. And, of course, the Jets lose that game and don't win again. They don't win another game. They wind up finishing 6-10. and 10. Leon Hess ridiculously fires Pete Carroll, right? He only gets the one year. We know what happened to Pete Carroll after that, okay? USC, the Seahawks, Super Bowl win. You know, of course, a disaster with Marshawn Lynch when they should have won the second Super Bowl, but we all know what happened there against the Patriots. Nevertheless, fires Pete Carroll and brings in Richie Kotite. And, you know, two just horrific years, 3-13 and in 95, 1-15 uh, in 96 before Parcells gets there. So the fake spike loss to the Miami Dolphins in 1994 is number five on the all-time Jets worst losses list. All right, we're going to run out of time in this first segment. Joe Beningo with you with the with you on the Older Pain podcast. So we're going to run out a little time here. So what we're going to do? We're going to stop it and we're going to come back and we're going to reload and I will give you the top four losses in the history of the woebegone franchise that is the New York Jets. Okay, so we'll do a little break here and we'll come back with part two after this. Okay, part two of the Joe Beningo Oda Payne podcast, where we break down the 10 worst losses in the history of the Jet franchise. And uh, let's, before we, uh, before we get to the top four, we've already done the top six and we'll review <clears throat> the final four here in, in, in just a second. But let me get my sponsors in here. The Joe Beningo Oda Payne podcast, of course, is brought to you by, first of all, the Hackensack Brewing Company, uh, my good buddy Mike Jones, my my buddy TJ, my my son-in-law Andre Green, go check them out. Uh, you know that we've done a couple of uh, uh, live podcasts from the Hackensack Brewing Company already. Go check it out, 78 Johnson Avenue in Hackensack, New Jersey, right behind the Tombstones. Uh, they're uh, 10 minutes off the GW Bridge and less than 30 seconds off Route 4 in Hackensack's Fairmont neighborhood. Always 12 beers on tap. Uh, the tap rooms open 4:30 to 10 p.m. Monday through Friday. 2 to 10 on Saturday, 12 to 8 on Sundays. So go in there, check them out. Tell Mike Jones I sent you. Like I said, we've already done two live podcasts there. We're going to do a couple more. Certainly we'll do another one probably when the weather gets better so we can do it outside. But uh, go check out the Hackensack Brewing Company. Then, of course, my buddy Isaac over at Beach Camera in Edison, New Jersey. You know the deal. They've been in business for over 30 years. They offer all the top brands, LG, Samsung, and Sony. Give Isaac a call. At Beach Camera, 732-993-6385. Stop in at 80 Carter Drive in Edison and let him save you some money. You could use the code Joe B, J-O-E-B for 15 bucks off your order of $100 or more at Beach Camera. 
Tire.com. Uh, check it out. Tell Isaac I sent you. And, of course, Anita Tire. You know about Anita Tire. My son, Johnny, and, of course, his boss, Ari. Go check him out. Rivervale, New Jersey, Westwood Avenue. Uh, anything to do with your car service, any anything like that, any of your uh, tire needs, whatever, it's a place to go and tell them I sent you a needed tire in Rivervale, New Jersey. All right, the Joe Beningo Older Pain Podcast special, special edition, breaking down the top 10 losses, worst losses in the history of the New York Jet franchise. We have four to go. We've done six so far. Let's review uh, uh, 10 through five. Number 10. The 1986 loss to the Miami Dolphins on Monday night, 45 to three, after the Jets had started the season 10 and one. Number nine, the wild card playoff loss to the Buffalo Bills in 1981, 31 to 27, the game where Richard Todd finds Bill Simpson on the two yard line to end the game. Of course, the interception. Number eight, the Christmas Eve disaster to the Baltimore Ravens in 2000. After they have a 14-0 lead, Vinny throws that interception to Chris McAllister right before halftime. He returns 98 yards for a touchdown. Uh, the Jets need to win the game to make the playoffs. They lose 38-24. to That's number eight. Number seven, the Mud Bowl game, the 14-0 loss in the AFC Championship game to the Dolphins in 1982. Number six, the finals, last game of the regular season loss to the Buffalo Bills in 20 to 15 and 2015. The last winning season the Jets had. Uh, they go into Buffalo needing to beat the Bills to make the playoffs, and they lose 22 to 17. Darrell Rivas torched by Sammy Watkins. Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing the big pick in the end zone that seals the Jets' fate. Todd Bowles' only winning season, and it's all downhill for Bowles and really the Jets uh, since that game. So that's number six, the final game of the regular season loss to the Buffalo Bills in 20 to 15. And in 2015, not 20 to 15, in 2015. And then number five, the spike game, fake spike loss to the Dolphins in 1994. Dan Marino uh, hitting Mark Ingram for the game-winning touchdown, throws five touchdown passes to Ingram, in that, uh, four touchdown passes, I should say, to Ingram in that game. Uh, the Jets blow a 24-6 lead in that game. Boomer throws a critical interception to Troy Vincent. That really turns the whole game around. So that's number four, uh, number five. So we have four more to go. Number four, and and you know you could say this is even higher, but I, I number four is the Christmas Eve loss to the Giants, the Victor Cruz game, as I call it, in 2011. And this game really changed two franchises because the Jets lose this game. The Jets are eight and six going into this game, still controlling their own destiny to make the playoffs. They had been to the AFC Championship game two years in a row prior to that that they had lost in 09 to the Colts in 2010 to Pittsburgh. And, you know, we all know the whole deal there, Rex Ryan and all of that. The Giants have the lead right before half, uh, The Jets have the lead right before uh, – closing in before halftime. The Giants are about on their own 10-yard line, and Eli Manning throws like a quick out to Victor Cruz. Kyle Wilson, one of the worst first-round draft choices in the history of the franchise, the defensive back out of Boise State, okay? And, you know, when I say one of the worst first-round picks, that's encompassing a lot of territory. Misses Cruz at the line of scrimmage, and Victor proceeds to take off down the sideline. Eric Smith, the defensive back, has a last shot at him at about the 50-yard line, doesn't make the play. Victor goes 90-something yards for a touchdown. Uh, the Jets do come back in the game and all, but they wind up losing this game 
The Giants go on to win the Super Bowl that year, and the Jets go on to disaster ever since. So, I mean, <laughs> that's it, okay? And, you know, and the Jets have not made the playoffs <clears throat> really since then. You know, 2010 is the last time they made the playoffs. But that game was kind of the beginning of the end of the Rex Ryan era. Remember, that was the game where where Rex Ryan, I loved Rex, a big fan. I wish he was coaching the team now. But remember, that's the game where Rex Ryan covers up the remember the, the it's a jet home game at 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 Giant Stadium for this game. Was this a Giant Stadium? I think it was still a Giant Stadium. And he covers up. No, it wasn't. No, no, this is in the new place. This is in MetLife. That's right. Not Giant. The last game, last year of my a Giant Stadium was 09. So this is in MetLife. But Rex Ryan covers up the Giant Super Bowl trophies. He covers them up before the game. How the hell do you do that? And the Giants see that, and they got ticked off by that, and rightfully so. So that was a factor in this game, too. A lot of people poo-pooed it. I can't. That was a big mistake by Rex Ryan doing that. Anyway, Victor Cruz takes it to the house. The Jets go one way. The Giants go on and win the Super Bowl that year again, even though they wound up being 9-7. and So that game as I will always call it, the Victor Cruz game. And I met Victor Cruz many times after that. He would laugh at me when I would mention that to him. He loved sticking it to the Jets in that game. Loved it. Anyway, so that game is number four on the all-time worst losses list. The 2011 week, it was the uh, 15th game of the, of the season loss. Christmas Eve, we had a lot of bad moments on Christmas Eve, to the New York Giants and the Giants go on to win the Super Bowl in 2011, and the Jets go to hell after that, pretty much. That was the beginning and end of the Rex Ryan era. So that is number four, okay? Number, th- uh, excuse yes, number four. Number three, and this game, you know, I got to put this game on the list, and it's got to be up there high. And I was at this game as a spry 15-year-old, and that is the divisional playoff loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at Shea Stadium in 1969. Now, the Jets were the defending world champions at that point, and I'm all pumped up. You know, before that, and this turns out to be the last year of the AFL, and in their infinite wisdom, the AFL, I forget who the commissioner of the AFL was at that point, they decide that they're going to have what they call the interdivisional playoff. Because if you remember in 68, the Jets – there were, you just, you know, you won your division, you won the East, and you went and played the championship game. That was it. That was the only playoff game they played when they beat the Raiders that year. But if you'll remember in 68, the Raiders and the Chiefs actually tied for the Western Division title. They both finished 12-2, and two, so they had a one-game playoff to determine who the Western Division winner was to play in the championship game. Oakland just smoked the Chiefs 41-6 in that game. So I guess they felt, look, a team like the Chiefs should have been in the playoffs, so we're going to expand the playoffs the final year of the AFL and so so we can get the Chiefs into a playoff spot. So they make it interdivisional. They don't have the Chiefs playing the Raiders in the West, no. They cross it over. So the Jets have to play Kansas City, who finished second in the West to the Raiders, and the Raiders play the lousy Houston Oilers, who I think finished six six and two or whatever because only fourteen game season back then, they they were so bad they they finished five hundred they still make the playoffs the Raiders play them and kill them 
and the Jets have to play this great Chief team that goes on and wins the Super Bowl that has six Hall of Famers on the defense. And I'm sitting in Shea Stadium for that game. I, I remember uh, one of my uh, one of the kids I went to high school with had tickets for this game, and he couldn't go. He had season tickets. He couldn't go. He's trying to get rid of the tickets. I said, "Look, don't do don't do anything with these tickets. I'm going to go. I, I I'm going to I'm going to go. I got to go get the money from my mother." I begged my mother, Ma, you got, I don't want anything for Christmas because this is around the Christmas time. You gotta let me get these tickets to go to this to go to this Jet game. Because remember, the game, the game was not televised. These are back during the days of the blackout, so the game is not televised in New York. And so I gotta go. It was a Saturday game. She gives me the money. I buy the tickets. I go. I'm sitting in the end zone, right? And it was a brutally cold day in December at Shea Stadium. The wind is howling and all of that. I'm sitting in the end zone down below, right? And I'll never forget it. And Namath has one of the worst games of his career. He throws, he's 14 for 40. He throws three interceptions in this game, but it's a close game. The Jet defense is playing well. <clears throat> the Jets are down six to three, probably early fourth quarter, something like that. They got a first and goal on the one yard line to take the lead. And I'll never forget this. First play, handoff to Matt Snell. He gets stoned, doesn't get in. Second down, they give the ball to Bill Mattis. Remember Bill Mattis? He gets stoned. Now it's third and goal from the one-yard line. On third down, somehow, I don't know if Namath was going to throw a pass, whatever he's going to do, he rolls out to his right and gets absolutely annihilated by Curly Culp and Buck Buchanan. I can, I can see the play now. The two Hall of Famers, two of the Hall of Famers on the team, Culp and Buchanan, just nailing Joe at the one-yard line. They don't score the touchdown. They kick a field goal. Jim Turner kicks the field goal to tie the game at 6-6. The next series, I can see it right now. I can see him coming at me now. Len Dawson hits the great Otis Taylor over the middle, and Taylor goes for about 50 yards, and he's running right towards me at the end zone, and I'm like, oh, my God. Anyway, two plays later, Dawson throws a touchdown pass. I believe it was Gloucester Richardson to give the Chiefs a 13-6 lead, okay? <clears throat> the Jets have one more shot. With about 50 seconds to go, they're going to get pretty good field position. The Chiefs have to punt from deep in their own territory. And you remember Mike Battle? Mike Battle was a defensive back out of USC that made his name by running, returning a punt for a touchdown in the preseason game that year against the Giants, which was a huge game, was a huge deal because the Jets had won the Super Bowl against the Colts. And everybody was still you know, saying, ah, oh, they were lucky. Still, the AFL is not as good as the NFL. And this was a big game that the Jets had to win against the Giants. It was like a regular season game for a preseason game. And the Jets wound up beating the Giants 37-14 in that game. Mike Battle had a punt return for a touchdown in that game. So, you know, Battle was like this, was a star now. Anyway, he was a rookie too out of Southern Cal. All right, so Battle's going to return the punt. So the Chiefs punt, I think it was Gerald Wilson was the punt. The Chiefs punt, Battle calls for a fair catch at like midfield, fumbles the ball. Chiefs recover, game over. And little did I know at that time as I'm leaving Shea Stadium after that game, just miserable as a 15-year-old kid with my buddy, uh, Gary Lindenbaum. I'll give Gary a pop here. I haven't seen him in 100 years, okay? I hope he's doing well. As I'm leaving to go, leaving to go home, to go to the subway, to get to the bus, to go back, back home to Paramus, New Jersey, I'll never forget it. There was a guy who was drunk, and his buddy, as he's walking out, he's right next to me. And the guy says to him, did we win? And, and the guy who was not drunk says to the guy who was, no, no, we lost. 
And little did I know as a 15-year-old that this would be as good as it was ever going to get now for Joe, in the Joe Namath years. That was the last playoff game Joe Namath played. And like I said, he was terrible in the winds of Shea Stadium. 14 for 40, three picks. Jets lose 13 to 6. They don't sniff another playoff game for 12 years. We already documented that game. That lost to Buffalo in 81. And really, who knew? And, uh, you know, and 53 years later, they still haven't been to a Super Bowl. So I got to put that game in there, in there. The divisional playoff loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in 1969. That's number three. Number two was in a game I, another game I was at. And that is the divisional playoff loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh in 2004. The game where Herman Edwards played not to lose. Played not to lose. Chad Pennington had hurt his arm. The Jet offense did nothing the whole game. But they had to leave for most of the game. Remember, the two touchdowns they scored in this game, they wound up losing 20-17. to 17. The two touchdowns they lost in this game, uh, scored in this game, one was an interception return for a touchdown by Reggie Tung. The other one was a punt return for a touchdown by Santana Moss. So the offense did nothing in this football game. And by the way, it's almost impossible. I think if you return an interception for a touchdown in a game and you return a punt for a touchdown in the same game, the chances of you winning that game is about 90%. But the Jets defy all odds. You know how they are. I mean, they defy all odds. And if you remember, as Doug Bryan is setting up, as the Jets are setting up for what would be the game-winning field goal in regulation for Doug Bryan, they actually have – Chad Pennington's actually losing yardage as he's basically kneeling down to set up for the field goal. So Brian is lining up for what would be the potential game-winning field goal in regulation. And I'm sitting up there with my good buddy, the aforementioned Tommy Keenan. <clears throat> We're in Pittsburgh for the game. We're sitting up there. We're up in the upper deck. The terrible towels are all around us. And as Doug Bryan is lining up for the field goal, Steeler fans are starting to leave. They're leaving. And this is like a 40-something-yard field goal in a place, if you remember, uh, in Heinz Field where it was like impossible to kick field goals there. Remember that? It was like impossible. can't kick field goals in Heinz Field. What, are you kidding me? It's impossible. So Bryan's lining up for the field goal, and people, the Steeler fans are leaving. And my buddy Tommy gets up, the great Tommy Kinney gets up and says, where are you guys going? He's not making this field goal. He's going to miss this kick. Right. And of course, Tommy was prophetic. Oh, uh, you know, Doug Bryan misses the kick. Then he had another opportunity in overtime to win the game and he doesn't do it. And of course, eventually Pittsburgh wins the game with a field goal in overtime and the Jets lose. The Steelers go on to lose the AFC championship game and nevertheless to the Patriots. But that has to be number two. And I'll never forget. And I remember being back in the hotel room after the game and, you know, I'm, I'm lying on, I'm lying on the, on the, uh, on the hotel room floor, talking to my wife back in New Jersey. I'm in my long john, long underwear because it was a cold day in Pittsburgh in January and all it is. And then I go downstairs. We go downstairs later on. All the sports writers are there, and I'm not going to mention all their names. And they're all blaming Doug Bryan for the loss. And I'm sitting there. I'm not blaming Doug Bryan. I'm blaming Herman Edwards for playing not to lose. Typical Herman Edwards, even though you play to win the game. And look, Herman was a very good coach for my team. He took me to the playoffs three times more than any coach in Jet history ever did. So, again, I wish Herman was coaching the team now. But anyway, I wasn't too happy with him that day. I'm cursing him out as I'm walking back to the hotel from the game and all of that. It was unbelievable. Anyway, 
And then I'm arguing with all the all the reporters. What a disaster. I, I got two, at least two martinis that night, whatever, when I could still drink. All of that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, so that's the Doug Bryan game. The divisional playoff loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2004. That is number two. All right. Before we get to the number one game, and if you're a Jet fan, you know what the game is. Before we get to the number one game, I'm going to talk about the best of the rest. Now, you can get on me. You know, how come you don't have any of the AFC title games in there beside the mud ball? The 98 loss to Denver, the 2009 loss to the Colts, the 2010 loss to Pittsburgh. They were bad. There's no doubt about it. But still not as bad. You know, they, they weren't as bad as these other games. I, they just weren't. I, I You know, the, the Jets were never beating the Broncos, even though they had a 10 nothing lead in that game at one point. Um, the, the Broncos were the better team. I mean, let's be honest about it. And, you know, they did everything they could. Keith Byers had a big fumble. Martin had a big fumble in that game. Dave Meggett doesn't cover the kick. Remember the touchdown pass to McCaffrey right after the Jets take the 10-0 lead where he beats Victor Green like a drum? You know, I understand that. I understand the loss to the Colts in 09, the loss to the Steelers in 2010. I was at both of those games. So I, I still can't put those games in there, even though, you know, they have to be – you have to bring them up. You know, there was the loss to Houston in the last game of the 93 season when they lost 24 nothing to the, to the Oilers when all they had to do was win that game and make the playoffs, and Boomer was basically hiding under the rug in that game. You know, that was the game where Buddy uh, Buddy Ryan punched out Kevin Gilbride on the sidelines and all of that. You know, I mean, so there's all the, you know, there's plenty of other games. I mean, we could get into. I I don't want to go crazy, but to me, they don't quite make the list. You know, top fifteen, I put them in there. I just can't put them in there. You know, with these other games, but I have to give them mention, so I do. And there you go. But people that are going to say, well, you got to put those games in there. Well, you know. That's the story on those games, okay? Even though they had the lead against the Colts in 09 in the championship game, I was there in Indianapolis for that. Uh, they were never winning that game. The Colts were clearly the better team. Remember, the Colts actually let them in the playoffs by lying down in that regular season game, the next to last uh, last game of the season, because the Colts didn't want to gonna, didn't want to go undefeated. They wind up sitting uh, Peyton Manning and put K- uh, Curtis Painter in the game, and the Jets wind up winning the game. So the Colts. You put them in the playoffs, and then the Colts took them out of the playoffs. The game in Pittsburgh, remember they were down 24-0 in that game before they came back. Um, you know, the defense uh, was terrible in the first half. They had that goal line stand where they couldn't get in the end zone. I could still see LaDainian Thomason trying to go over the top on fourth down. He doesn't get in. Then the big play on third down to Roethlisberger, I believe to Antonio Brown at the time, to give the Steelers the first down that really kind of sealed the win for them. Uh, at the end of the game, even though the Jets came back and lost 24-19 after being down 24-0. You know, it was terrible. But, I, I you know, again, I, I'm not putting that game in there. The number one loss in the history of the Jets has to be the double overtime playoff loss to the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland in January 1987, you know, in the 1986 season. It has to be. The Jets are winning this game 20-10, to with four minutes and 14 seconds left to go, Freeman McNeil runs it in for the for the touchdown to give him the 10-point lead, and then disaster strikes. And there was so many things. You know, I just watched this game again. I forced myself on YouTube to watch this football game again. I remember Pat Ryan started the game. Remember, he had started the playoff uh, a game against Kansas City the week before and played terrific in that win over the Chiefs, 35-15. He starts this game. 
He threw an early touchdown pass to Wesley Walker on a flea flicker to give the Jets a 7-0 lead. He was playing well, and then Ryan gets hurt in the game. Gets hurt. Ken O'Brien comes in. Remember, Joe Walton, who should have got fired after this game. I mean, I don't know how Joe Walton got three more years after this. They should have fired him after this game. He O'Brien comes in, and he had lost confidence in O'Brien, and, and he, he basically plays as conservative as you can play. But the Jets, they hand this game away. They're up 20 to 10. Russell Carter has an interception in the end zone right before that. Actually, they're up 13-10. Carter intercepts in the end zone. That sets up the, the touchdown and makes it 20 to 10 with McNeil taking it in for the TD. And even after that, the Jets get another interception. Uh, who, who got that? Oh, it was uh, who was it? Who got the pick? Was it Hasty that got the pick? Was it James Hasty that got the pick? I think it was Hasty. Was it him? I'm trying to think who it was. I forget exactly who it was, but there was another big interception there, right? Right at that point, um, that would uh, uh, that put the Jets in good shape. Anyway, they're up twenty to ten. They look like they got the Browns finished, and then Mark Gastineau on a third down when they would have been off the field, roughs Bernie Kosar. They get the first down, and, and watching it again, it was a clear roughing the passer call on a Gastineau. There's no way around it. The Browns drive. They make they cut the lead to 20 to 17. But you know what? Even after that, the Browns, with about a minute and 10 seconds left, they do the onside kick. The Jets recover on the Browns' 45-yard line. Still up 20 to 17 with about a minute to go. Great. First down, the Jets run with McNeil. They get nothing. Timeout, Cleveland. Second down, they run the ball again with McNeil. They get nothing. Timeout, Cleveland. Now they got the Jets got a third and 10 from about the Cleveland 45-44 yard line. What do they do? Does 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 Walton try to, you know, have O'Brien maybe throw the ball to Altoon, maybe throw the ball to Wesley Walker, you know, Mickey Shule or something, maybe McNeil out of the backfield, whatever? No, 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 no. Walton doesn't do that. He has Ken O'Brien, who had about as much mobility as I do now at 68 years old. They have, he has Ken O'Brien try to run a quarterback draw. What? What the hell was that? Of course, he goes nowhere. Now the Jets got a punt. So Dave Jennings, who punted about 15 or 16 times in that game, gets up the punt. Beautiful punt. Pins the Browns on their own two-yard line, right? Okay? Wait a minute. A holding penalty on the Jets on the punt. So Jennings has to punt again. He punts again, and this time the Browns wind up with the ball on their own 35-yard line. The very next play, Bernie Kozar uh, throws a pass. I don't know if it was to Webster Slaughter, Brian Brennan, whoever it was. Pass interference on Carl Howard. What? On about the Jet 40-yard line, 35-yard line. Eventually, Mosley kicks the field goal to send it into overtime. And then in the overtime, Joe Walton, he, he he's like he's playing for the Jet defense to get a turnover, and, and that's how they're going to win the game. He doesn't have O'Brien do anything. They got Wesley Walker. They got Al Toon. They got all these offensive weapons, McNeil, Shula, all these guys. He doesn't, he doesn't try to do anything. He plays as conservative as possible. So the game comes down to a Mark Mosley chip shot to win the game, and I'll never forget it. I watched this game. I was still married to my wonderful first wife at the time. Uh, we were living in my mother's house in Saddle River. 
as Mosley is lining up to kick the, the game-winning field goal, I'm walking out the door because I know he's going to make it. I can't believe the Jets blew this game. I'm walking out the door to go to a bar because I got I to gotta go have a drink now after this disaster. And as my, my, my feet opens the door to get out of the house, I hear my ex-wife screaming, he missed the field goal. Oh, my God. So, okay, great. So now I got to come back and watch the end of the game, right? And it's just torture because, like I said, you know, Walton's not doing anything for the, to offensively to try to win the football game. Eventually, in the second overtime, it comes down to another Mark Mosley field goal. Of course, he makes this, and the Jets lose 23-20. to 20. Brutal. This might be the worst coached game in the history of football. And how Joe Walton was not fired immediately after this game by Leon Hess, I have no idea. And not only did he get fired, he gets three more years after that. Three more. How the hell did this guy get three more freaking years after that Cleveland Brown loss? That game still, to this day, just, I mean, the hemorrhoid I have from this game has lasted now. How many years? 36 years? 36, 35, whatever it is, freaking years that I've had a hemorrhoid after this game. Unbelievable. How bad. So that, to me, has to be the number one loss in the history of the New York Jets. Now, you can argue this. We could go on. Other people may think differently. You know, Tommy, Ira, Joey and Clark, Kenny, any of my buddy Jet fans, Joe Jet and Staten Island, any of these people. You could you could argue this list. But this is the Joe Beningo top 10 list, worst losses in Jet history. So let's review again from number 10. Number 10, the Monday night 45-3 loss to the Miami Dolphins in 1986. Number 9, the AFC wildcard game loss to the Buffalo Bills, the Bill Simpson game. 3127 in 1981. Number eight, the Christmas Eve disaster against the Baltimore Ravens uh, in 2000. Uh, number seven, the Mudball loss to the Miami Dolphins in the AFC Championship game in 1982. Number six, the final game of the season loss to the Buffalo Bills in 2015, uh, the beginning of the end of the Todd Bowles era. Number five, the fake spike loss to the Dolphins and Marino in 1994. Number four, the Victor Cruz game. Again, the Christmas Eve disaster against the Giants in 2011. That really is the beginning and the end of the Rex Ryan era and propels the Giants to the Super Bowl championship. Number three, the 1969 divisional playoff loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, 13-6 to at Shea Stadium. The final a playoff game that Joe Namath would ever be in, and it would be 12 years again until the Jets played in a playoff game. Number two, the Doug Bryan game, as we like to call it, the uh, 2004 divisional playoff loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. And number one, the double overtime disaster in Cleveland in January 1987, the divisional playoff loss to the Browns in 1986. So there you go. Uh, my wife agrees with the list. She's down with it 100%, 1 through 10. <laughs> She's laughing right now. The Joe Beningo top 10 for the all-time Jet losses in the history of this woe-be-gone franchise. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank all my sponsors, the Hackensack Brewing Company, 
a beach camera, and a need of tires. Everybody have a great week. Uh, we'll see when this podcast will be out there. My daughter will be letting you know when this podcast will air. But uh, everybody have a great weekend. Have a great week. A special one-hour edition of the Joe Beningo Oda Pain podcast and nothing but pain, the top 10 losses, most brutal losses in the history of the New York Jets. All the love, everybody.